Can you open your Bibles with me and turn to the Gospel of Mark chapter 4? The Word of God is always where we turn and look to for guidance and direction. If you've been with us throughout this series, you know we've been studying a few chapters in Mark, and what's been on display is the reign of Jesus. Mark writes to convince us, his readers, that Jesus is Lord, Lord of all, not just Lord of Israel, not just leading uh, some type of ethnic movement, but Jesus is Lord of all, heaven and earth declare his glory. And the constant invitation of the gospel of Mark is to ask you and me, what do we think about Jesus? Who is he to us? And today I would ask that you would ponder that question. But wrapped up in that question is a deeper question that I want you to consider for a moment. Maybe you have, maybe you haven't before. And that is, what did Jesus come to do? What did he come to establish? What was his earthly ministry all about? Some would argue that Jesus came to establish a new moral order, an ethical code, so to speak, that replaced old ethical and moral order. Is that what Jesus came to do? I think that that's a part, but it certainly is not all. Others would argue that Jesus came to start some new religious movement, that that's what he was, was after. And yet still others would say, no, he was a social revolutionary coming to really be an activist and uh, make right the wrong institutions of society. But is that what he was after? How would Jesus answer the question? Well, he answers the question pretty directly in Luke's gospel. In Luke's gospel, chapter 4, verse number 34, 43, rather, we read these words, Jesus' words. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God, for I was sent for this purpose. That's his purpose, to establish not just a religious movement, to establish not just a new moral order. Those things may be true, but they're wrapped up in something bigger and broader. Jesus came to bring the kingdom of God to earth, to establish a kingdom. That's what Isaiah says, that unto us a son is born. But he goes on to say that the government shall be upon his shoulders. That means that when you and I come to faith in Christ, we're getting more than just new morality. We are becoming citizens of a new kingdom. Now, there are differences between Jesus' kingdom, the kingdom of God, and earthly kingdoms. Maybe you've noticed. If you haven't, you should take note. First, Jesus' kingdom is righteous as compared to the fallen kingdoms of men that are so often corrupt and broken and full of unrighteousness. Maybe your soul gets weary as you look at the kingdoms of men and you look at our political leaders and our governmental leaders and you just get brokenhearted. Will there be any rescue? Well, as the late great Chuck Colson said often, that salvation doesn't fly in on the wings of Air Force One. And this tempers our political expectations. All of our political hopes should not rest, rest in earthly politics. How many know that we need to take up the politics of heaven where Jesus is forever King of kings, Lord of lords, unelectable, unimpeachable, King forever? How many praise God for that truth? 
Not only is his kingdom righteous compared to the unrighteous kingdoms of men, but his kingdom is eternal compared to the temporal kingdoms of men. Kingdoms come and go. They rise and fall. Egypt for a season, the Roman Empire for another season, America even now. But the fact of the matter is, is that there will be a sunset on all of those kingdoms. But of the kingdom of God, there will be a perpetual reign. The kingdom of Jesus will know no end. This is why we have to make sure we put all of our hope in the right kingdom. But the third thing about the kingdom that is very interesting is how it advances. And that's what I want to talk about today. You know, Jesus could have advanced his kingdom through military might. If you ask me or you how we would advance our kingdom, we would probably try to expand our kingdom that way, through tanks, through horses, chariots, through armies and air forces. But that's not how Jesus' kingdom advances. Jesus, is, uh, his kingdom advances as the gospel spreads. As the word of God is trusted upon and believed, it expands by faith as we trust in his word. He's going to talk about that today as we look at three stories, three parables that Jesus told about how his kingdom advances. And the big idea of it all is that Jesus' reign advances through the shared word. It causes us to ask ourselves, are we sharing the word and are we trusting in the Word of God? How many want to answer yes to both of those? That you are sharing the Word, that is your mission, and that you are trusting the Word. You know, our purpose is to share the Word, and Jesus will establish this. So all of these parables that we are reading in Mark chapter 4, some of his finest teaching all point to the kingdom. You may ask, Chris, how do you know? Well, we're going to be reading from verses 21 through verses 40 through verse 34. And over again, Jesus tells us this is the focal, focal point of his stories, these parables. Look at verse number 26. It says, and he said, the kingdom of God is as if. This is him saying, I'm about to give you a story about the kingdom of God. Now, go down to verse number 30. We read these words. He said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God? Or what parable will, shall we use for it? Here, Jesus, again, is saying, I'm about to give you a parable. I'm about to give you a story that will help you to understand, that will illustrate what the kingdom of God is all about. Because this is what he is all about. He is preaching the kingdom, and he wants us to understand the kingdom. Does that make sense to everybody? And so here's the thing. Uh, last week, I explained to you that the word parable is where we get the word parallel from, to come alongside. The word parable is a story that comes alongside a spiritual truth in order to illuminate that spiritual truth. But what is the spiritual truth that he wants to illuminate? He's the king of the kingdom, and the kingdom has come because he has come, and that he wants us to receive the kingdom into our heart and to share his word so that the kingdom can ex expand, and he uses three stories to illustrate that. But before he gets into the stories, he sets them up with verses 21 through 23. Let's read those together. He says, and he said to them, 
Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. You see what the focus is in verse number 23. It's on them hearing. How do you hear these parables? What we learned last week in, in chapter 4, as you go back to verses uh, 12 and 13, what we learned is that Jesus told parables so that he could expose the crowd. He told parables knowing that these parables were hard to understand. But for the one who really was hungry for him, when they encountered something that was hard to understand that came from the teachings of Jesus, what was their response to it? So, Lord, help me to understand. How many, when you're reading the Word of God and you come across something that's hard to understand, pray in some form or fashion, Lord, help me to understand your Word. How many have ever prayed that before? That's evidence that God is at work in your heart. But for those who have rejected Jesus, he speaks to them in parables, and they simply walk away saying this is nothing but babble. There's no value here. And that's the point. The point is, is that he exposes the state of our hearts by teaching in parables. So what is he saying here? Well, he's saying here that a lamp is not lit. These type of oil lamps that they would have used during that day. A lamp does not come into the room in order to be hid under a basket or to be hid under a bed. Do you light a lamp in order to hide it? No, the answer is obvious. You don't. Well, who is the lamp? What is he referring to? He is the lamp. He is the light of the world. He declared himself to be so. John chapter 8, verse number 12, Jesus declares these words very clearly, very plainly, without any confusion or question, I am the light of the world. John says in John chapter 1, verse number 15, that light has come into the world and the darkness did not overcome it. How many praise God that darkness does not overcome light? Praise God. That is true for the world, but that is also true for our lives. That when Jesus, who is the light of God, when Jesus is in our lives, the darkness does not overcome it. There's a tremendous amount of darkness in the world. There's a tremendous amount of spiritual wickedness and darkness that is constantly trying to bombard our minds, our hearts, and our souls. How do you combat it? Well, not through tanks and guns and weapons of this world, but we combat it with the light. When the light of Christ is in our lives, the darkness cannot overcome it. He tells us that we are to shine his light brightly. He is saying to them, the lamp did not come into the world to be hidden. I did not come into the world in order to be hidden under a basket, under a bed. But I have come into the world so that all may see and those who are in darkness be drawn to the light. 
In verse 22, he uses the metaphor of a secret that was made manifest. Paul tells us that for eras and, uh, of the past, the secret of the Messiah, the Savior, the kingdom was kept hidden from man. But in these days, God has revealed the secret of the kingdom in Jesus Christ, that salvation is found in him and him alone, and that if you are weary and heavy laden, you will find rest for your soul. This, my friends, is the gospel. But I love the fact that the gospel is not just for the unsaved or for those who do not believe yet. I'm reminded every day that I need the gospel. I need the reminder that salvation is found in him. I need to be reminded that he is the lamp that gives light to my life and to the world. The psalmist put it this way, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Well, Jesus is the word made flesh. He is a lamp and he is meant to be put on display. And guess who is supposed to put him on display? You and me. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and do what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. We need to shine our light, which is a reflection of his light, so that others might come to worship and know him. So then, after telling them, if they have ears to hear, let them hear, he tells them three stories about how the gospel expands through the sharing of the word. And each story is to illustrate a point. The first story illustrates the point that deeper leads to greater. Deeper listening leads to greater experiencing of God's presence. Look at the next verse. He says here in verse 24, and he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Now let's just pause for a moment. How many read something like that and say, Jesus, what are you talking about? Anybody experience that? And that's the point of a parable. That's what a parable is supposed to do. It will either awaken the curiosity of the one who is hungry for God, or it will reveal the hearts of men that have rejected him. So what is this provoking you? To walk away or to search deeper? And so he invites us and he gives the understanding to those who seek to know who he is. What is the point of this parable, this particular short story? Well, it is clear that his focus is on listening. He starts by saying, pay attention to what you hear. In other words, how are you hearing? How are you listening? And to what measure you are listening, it will determine the measure or the return that you get back from what you are listening to. Please pay attention to this. Because if you are a poor listener, you will not get much value from the Word of God, either preached or read aloud. 
But if you are a good listener, your return on investment will be high. It is all about listening. Now, some of us, we listen to the Word of God like a Charlie Brown cartoon. You remember Charlie Brown cartoons. How did the adult sound in every Charlie Brown cartoon? What was the sound? Womp, 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 womp. That's how many of you maybe listen to the Word of God, many of us, at various times. How many have ever been guilty of being in a conversation that you were nodding your head, but all along you know you weren't listening? Maybe it was to a friend, maybe it was to your kids, or maybe it was to your spouse. And then that awkward moment comes where they pause, and you know they're expecting a response, and you ain't got nothing. <laughs> because while you have been hearing, you haven't been listening. This is a danger in relationships, and it's certainly a danger when it comes to the Word of God. I pray that as the word is declared to you, that it doesn't sound like a Charlie Brown cartoon, but that you are eager and you are listening intently because with the measure that you are listening, it will be measured to you again, and still more will be added to you who are listening. For to the one who has, more will be given. To the one who has received understanding and insight because of their diligence and careful listening, more will be given. But to the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And that makes sense to me. Because if you haven't been listening well, it won't be long before you lose what you heard because it doesn't take root in your heart and so you're constantly losing any sense of God's presence and any sense of the truth. And so he invites us to be diligent listeners and hearers of his word. And friends, I want to invite you to be diligent listeners. No matter what age or stage of life you're in, you can continue to improve as a listener of God's word. Let me give you just one bit of advice on how to listen better. One bit of advice. How many want this one bit of advice? All right, praise the Lord. Half of you are telling the truth. <laughs> one bit of advice on how to listen better is to take notes. Take notes while you are listening. Or if you're not a note taker, marry one. And you can cheat off of their notes. Some of you were smart enough to do that as the note-taker nudged the non-note-taker and said, listen to him. Here's the reality, is that when you take notes on what you're listening, it deepens it in your heart, and the ROI, the return on investment of what you hear is multiplied in its power in your life. Life is full, it is busy, we are prone to forget. And for most of us, most of us, if we were quizzed on what we heard an hour from now, let it alone a day from now or a week from now, many of us would have forgotten already. Thy word have I hid in my heart 
that I might not sin against you. Have you ever considered the fact that what we have here in writing are simply the notes of the apostles? They were note takers. They were listening to Jesus as he taught the word of God and they captured it in their notes and then revered it so much under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that they compiled it for our benefit. And now generations of disciples have come to believe and know the words of Jesus, our Savior, all because they were note takers. So I encourage you, take notes, listen deeply, so that what you have will increase so that you won't lose the truth of the Word of God. Well, the second parable, if that one confused you, this one's even tougher. Here he wants to drive home that faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. Faithful leads to fruitful. Look at what it says in verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe at once, he puts in the stickle because the harvest has come. How many are saying, Jesus, what are you talking about? Amen. Well, he had already explained to them that the seed is the word of God. And the sowers are you and I. We are called to sow the word of God, to spread the word of God liberally, to invest the word of God in our children, in our grandchildren, in our family, in our friends, in our neighbors, and yes, in the nations. What I love about this particular story is it reveals the fact that there is space and time. Now listen to me, parents and grandparents, teachers and disciplers. There's space and time between the seed sowing and it bringing a harvest. And during that space and time is when we often get disheartened. Notice what happens to this farmer. He sows his seed and then he goes to sleep night and day and night and day. And he doesn't know what's going on. He knows not how the whole process works. But underneath the ground, there is something happening. And after some time, he sees a little sprout come up. And that gives him a little bit of encouragement. And then he sees it growing. And finally, the full ear and the grain is there. But it took some time. And friends, during that time, we have to be faithful. We have to be found faithful in the night and day period in between the sowing and the harvest. And there's a lot of us, a lot of us that are tempted to give up because you've been sowing for a while. Maybe sowing the word of God into your children. Maybe sowing the word of God into your grandchildren. Maybe sowing the word of God into your family or your friends or someone you're trying to witness to about Christ and you see no change. Friends, salvation does not belong to you and I. We get to sow 
we get to water, but it's God who brings the increase. It is God who brings the harvest. Don't give up. Keep being faithful because in due season, you will reap a harvest if you faint not. Maybe you're discipling somebody who's hard ground. Keep tilling that ground. Keep sowing that seed. Maybe you're getting nothing but rejection, but it does not mean that God is not at work. It's not your job to bring a harvest. It's your job to sow and sleep. That's all the farmer brought to the party. He sowed the seed. He went to sleep. God did the rest. Hudson Taylor, one of the great, most famous um, missionaries in missionary history, was one of the first to take the gospel to China. And many of you may have heard his story, but he labored there for years and years and years. This communist, socialist, totalitarian, atheistic government that believed not God was some of the hardest ground spiritually that the world has ever known. And when Hudson Taylor died, guess how many converts he had? Well, the best of estimates say one, but some even argue that that was iffy. But today, because of the seed that was sown in that soil, in China today, there is an estimated over 100 million believers in that nation. Praise God that he kept sowing. Praise God that he kept planting the seed. Earlier today, after preaching to the 815 service, a man came to me and he says, a friend of mine prayed for her husband for seven years to come to faith in Christ. And he seemed like he was rejecting it that whole time. He finally came to faith in Christ. That was 27 years ago. He's a Bible study fellowship leader today. Praise God that she did not give up sowing the seed of God and praying for her husband's salvation. Grandma, grandpa, don't give up. Mom, dad, don't give up. Friend, discipler, don't give up. Keep sowing the word of God and trust him for the harvest. Amen? Amen. One final story that drives home the point that small leads to expansive. Look at what he says in verse number 30. And he said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed which when sown on the ground is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables, he spoke the word uh, to them as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. How many thank God that he explains everything to his disciples? How many thank God for that? 
But this last parable, it is to drive home the fact that the kingdom of God starts small with a baby in a manger, the smallest of all packages. It does not look like much on that night that Mary and Joseph welcome the king of the world into their arms and into our hearts, but it grows and it expands through his earthly ministry and later on through his apostles and through their writings and their preachings and every generation of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And now the branches of the gospel has spread literally all over the world. And there are people who are living in hard places who have found their shade and their rest in its branches. And I praise God that I've been able to get a glimpse of this as I have visited in villages and with people who are serving God in obscurity and in difficulty, but they have found rest for their souls and from the scorching sun of sin in the branches of the gospel. Praise God, light will not be defeated by darkness. Jesus will not be defeated by Satan, and the kingdom will not be defeated by the kingdoms of this earth. Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. How many praise him that he is king of kings and lord of lords and of his government? There shall be no end. Starts as a mustard seed, this gospel, but it grows and it flourishes. And so it is all over the world. This is our Savior. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? That's the question that's on the table today as I ask you to stand. Don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? There's peace in the kingdom. There's joy in the kingdom. There's love in the kingdom. There's life in the kingdom. I don't do this often, but come on, look at your neighbor and just ask them, don't you want to be a part of the kingdom? Today. Today, I invite you to put your faith and your trust in Jesus. As we close in worship, I pray that you don't get this close to hearing his word and hearten your heart and reject his sayings like so many have before. But I pray that today your heart will be good soil for the word of God and that you will trust in him. Every eye closed, every head bowed. I want to invite you to respond to the gospel. If you're a believer, this is a moment where you should be praying. If you have not yet trusted in him and you know you need a savior, you need grace, you need forgiveness, you need salvation, it is found in Christ alone. Or if you need to come home again because you wandered away from him with every eye closed, every head bowed, I simply want you to raise your hand so I can pray for you today. All over this room, if today you want to give your heart to Jesus or come back to him, can you raise your hand so that I can pray for you? All over this room. I see your hand high. I see your hand. Keep it high. Keep it high. I see hands all over the room. Let's pray together.